This is the story of the prodigal son and the good father. It's a story of grace. Sorry, I'm a little sniffly. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. That's where I'm going to end it today. Simeon might just have been one of the most blessed men in the Galilee. In a place where agricultural work was the most highly respectable work, he was no doubt one of the more esteemed members of his community. The farm was passed on to him from his father, and from his father, and from his father, but it had been no picnic. He had worked the land for over 40 years, weathered some serious famines and droughts, and even a few wars. He had acres of beautiful barley and wheat fields, as well as vineyards and olive groves, his barns filled with oxen, horses, plows, threshers, and he was privileged to have many servants who helped run the farm. His farm was set against the beautiful Galilean hillside that overlooked the glimmering sea of Galilee. His adobe-type home was beautiful but not excessive. His favorite part of the day, however, and where you could find him every dusk, was a front portico, a porch, from where he could look out beyond the snaking road that stretched out towards the beautiful freshwater sea. Even, oops, what's going on here? Even on the warmest of evenings, there would always be a pleasant breeze that would bring him welcome refreshment after a hard day's work. There wasn't a day, there wasn't a day where he could not be found on that porch as the sun set behind him over the western hills. Recently, Simeon had a lot to be grateful for. He had two older sons, each with their own families, who were skilled farmers. They would soon take on the farm and continue his legacy. In those days, inheritance was clearly spelled out. 
Since Simeon had two sons, the older would receive two-thirds, the younger one-third. After all, it was the older son who would take on the lion's share of taking care of old Ma and Pa. The sons were in agreement. The older was to take the fields and vineyards. The older would take the olive groves. And then one evening, as Simeon sat on his porch, as he always did, he saw the younger son come up the steps. Dad, he said, can I talk to you? You bet, son, you can always talk to me. I can't do it anymore. Can't do what, son? What are you talking about? I'm done, Dad, with all of it. The farm, the family, this life, I want out, and I want out now. So whatever part of the estate you were going to give me, I want it now. And I'd like to leave by the weekend. But son, where are you going? Nowhere you want to know about, Dad. But what about your family and your wife, your kids, your little baby? They'll have to figure it out, Dad. I can't do this anymore. Just like that, Simeon's world had been thrown upside down. Simeon sent a servant to a neighbor, to a neighbor who had always wanted the olive groves, and before the day was over, the deal was done. Simeon sold the olive groves for a fair price, and on the eve of Sabbath, Jacob got on his horse, filled up a large sack with money and belongings, and slowly made his way down the snaky, dusty road with, so much, with no, not so much as, as a glance back at his father. He was always the son that gave him trouble. Strong-headed, hard to teach, rebellious in his youth, But Simeon thought that it had all been ironed out by now, but it wasn't. It was hard to imagine how he could so quickly, so matter-of-factly, throw away this life and leave the rest of the family holding the bag. The whole thing tore him to pieces. On the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee is an area called the Decapolis, Deca Ten Polis City. It is an area, or was an area, made up of ten Roman cities. This is where the son chose to settle. There in the Decapolis, one could find all sorts of vices that made the Romans notorious. There really was no end to the trouble and depravity you could get into over there. And to say that he dove right in was an understatement, both in the figurative and literal sense. Jacob lived the high life. And like bugs drawn to light, so were the seedy characters that came close when they found out he was a rich kid who had a lot to spend. First came the party house that he bought on the edge of the city. He always made sure it was stocked full of all the finest wines and spirits. Then it was the stallions. No regular horses would do. And of course the clothes. He decked himself out in all of the finest Laodicean purple robes money could buy. And oh yeah, the women. Much of his money was squandered on escorts and prostitutes. And things were exciting for a while. And as long as he had the money, he had the friends. It's amazing how popular you can be when you're buying all the rounds and hosting all the parties. What a life this was. Girlfriends, expensive new hobbies, collections. For the first while, it seemed it was all he could ask for. Back at the farm... The once pristine homestead was a place of chaos and heartbreak. 
His young children were confused and wounded, his wife devastated, broken. His older brother, who was left holding the bag, couldn't overcome the rage and anger he had towards his little brother. But what got him most of all is what it did to mom and dad. Jacob's mom hadn't left the house since. Simeon wore himself, or himself, he, he wore the look of a man whose biggest dream was crushed. And yet still, every night, without fail, you know where you could find him on that front porch, looking out to the glassy sea, the snaky road, hoping and praying that the next traveler just might be his son. But the son hadn't even thought of going home. You kidding me? Well, at least while there was money to spend, but that was just a matter of time. You see, he was a fool, and he never even thought that the money could run out. But it did. And when the money left... So did the popularity and the parties and the friends and the life. And when the bank came for the house and the bailiff for the stallions, when he found himself at the town market hawking his fine purple gowns, it was then that the guilt and shame started to come over him like a dark cloud. He had single-handedly destroyed his family, all but tanked the family business, and wished his father dead. He had taken the devil's poison, sweet but deadly. And now when it was all gone, and when he'd sobered up because there's nothing left to drink, he could now see what a horrible wretch he'd become. And then he ended up living with pigs. There was a job posting when the famine crept in of a pig feeder. Jews don't feed pigs. Jews don't go around pigs. But there he was feeding pigs, and there wasn't much left over. At this point, there was two words that dominated his mind. Go home. But he couldn't go home. Not after all he did. But he couldn't get the two words out of his head. Go home. Go home. And so that's what he eventually did. He knew that at least if he went home, he could live in servants' quarters. He could eat. And so he rehearsed in his head what, what he could say when he got back home. He would bow, he would confess, and the best case, he would be a servant. And so with nothing but rags on his body and not even sandals on his feet, he went home with the biggest duffel bag of guilt and shame you could ever imagine. And yet there was this fear. Of course there was this fear. How would the father receive him? Would he receive him? Would he scowl? Would he make a mockery, a lesson out of him? Would he rip him to pieces? Would he even open the gate? With every step there was this awful dread, knowing that he might be cut off from his father for good. And yet still the words, go home, Jacob, go home. Well, it kept him moving towards the father's homestead. Simeon was sitting on his porch. The day of the return was no different than any other. As he looked out east over the lake and over the rural road at dusk, he noticed a little cloud of dust rising. The road only ended up in one place, his farm, and at this time of day it was unusual for anyone to use it. Every day for six years, Simeon sat on that porch, Waiting, pining, hoping that that traveler would be his son. 
This time, as the figure walked, he could just tell it was his son. Simeon didn't move too good. But when he saw who it was, he yelled, Gate! Gate! Get the gate! Someone get the gate! The servants didn't know what the heck was going on, but they stammered to the gate, opened the gate, and there he was in rags. Jacob. Simeon ran down the road, all portly and clumsy, as best he could. His robe was dancing up and down. And By the way, it's disgraceful for an older man to run in robes. He didn't care. He ran as best he could. A wobble here, a hobble there. When his son saw his dad running, he ran too, and they collided. Simeon cried, You're home, boy. You're home. And they blubbered together. And just about the time Simeon's son was about to ask to be a servant, he says, Get my boy's robe, get my boy's ring, and get him a pair of sandals. The son came home. Now, why this story? Well, I can just tell you from my experience and meeting with so many people over the years, grace is probably the hardest thing for us to get. It's so hard for us to get grace. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. And more than anything in our lives, I've also learned this. We all need to be reminded of it constantly. That there is nothing that we can do that can make God love us less. And there's nothing that we can do that can make God love us more. And so that's so often the pitfall we fall in. As folks over and over and over and over again. We can read a story like this and say, oh, the father accepted him because he got his crap together. The father accepted him because he finally realized that he needed to put his, the, the, his life back in pieces. That's why his father loved him. That is not the story. That is not the story. You see, what Jesus is trying to do here in this parable is he's trying to tell a story to people that is about as ugly as you can get. This story is about as ugly and evil as you can get. He basically says to his dad, I don't give a rip, dad, if you die. Couldn't care less. Give me the money. In that time, in that time, the consequences of that were death. You can't help but think for the first hearers of this story, we've heard this story before, but for the first hearers of the story in first century, they were thinking, this guy's going to get it. They're going to hang this kid. But the father runs. The father greets. The father hugs. The father restores it. The father is disgraceful in his grace as he runs down the, ro- the road with his robe flapping. I've been walking with Jesus now, 46, actually 39. So <laughs> I've been walking with Jesus for 26 years. I take this seriously. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my Lord. But the constant drip, drip, drip of my life is, does God really love me? Oh, I thought that. I did that. Oh, I did that. 
I didn't do that. And all the while, it's just drip, drip. Man, God, we need to be reminded of grace. Every day, every hour, every minute. It's not about what I do. It's not about what you do. The guilt and the shame that is always so nagging in our lives is so powerful. We need to be reminded that grace is more powerful. We need the picture of our Father in Heaven running down the road and saying, I don't care what you did, boy. You're mine. You're mine and you're home with me. It's just so hard to get. It's hard to get this grace stuff. See, because we read this Bible and the other message is always like, oh, it's this really neat story of really great people who did really good things for God. And we even sometimes tell our kids that. Look at what Samson did. Samson was a bad man. <laughs> Look at what Noah, be like Noah, be like David, except for the killing part. where He murdered that guy? Don't do that. It's not about good people. And God's saying, you did great. Here's a reward. It's about a good God who finds himself in the lives of those people who can't keep it together. That's grace. That's grace. Grace is about God throwing a party, having a barbecue when we come home. He's a guest at a big barbecue after he destroys his life and his family life. That's grace. But it also comes at a great cost. What's the father's greatest fear when it comes to his son? That he's going to die in his sin. That's the story here. What's the greatest fear of the father? And you see, that's the story of grace. That our father looked at you and he looked at me and he said, my greatest, greatest concern, my greatest desire is that they come home. And so God sends his son to a faraway land. And God sends his son to a land where all of the sin of the world crush him. So that we could come home. Now, I said in the story, and it's, and it's true, he would have left with a big bag of his stuff and money. But the son came home with a big bag of stuff too, and that was shame and guilt. Most of us have a big bag of that stuff laying around. Guilt we carry for past sins, past hurts, the ways we hurt our parents, kids. But see, the moment we come and put our faith and come home, we drop that bag. I don't know if I've ever told you this story before. When I was in grade 8, I went to, I think I have, but it's so good, i got to tell it again. When I was in grade 8, uh, my mom's side of the family lives in Smithers, and for one week, I got to go up to Smithers. I think I flew up there, and then they picked me up. And my cousin was a golfer. He went golfing like every day. I wasn't a golfer, but I was like, well, I'm here. So uh, I went golfing with them. And I used my Aunt Henny, her golf clubs. I saw her last year, told the story. She laughed. She never heard it. So anyways, every day, I would think for a whole week, we went golfing. And so, you know, <clears throat> now my Auntie Henny had a golf cart, right? One that you pull along. Well, boys who are in grade 8 shouldn't have one of those. They should carry a bag, right? I mean, how else are you going to get to get this kid to hate golf even more than carrying a big bag around? 
So anyways, I went the whole week, and on the last day, the last day, I, had, I, I dropped the bag. The, dr- the bag kind of dropped kind of upside down, you know, where the club slid, and one big boulder rolled out. And then I looked in there. You see, my Aunt Henny's clubs are too small. She couldn't keep the cart up properly. So they filled the, the golf bag with boulders and forgot about it. So for a whole week, I went golfing with a bag full of boulders that I didn't need to have. And I cursed the sport to this day. <laughs> But that's like so much of us. So much of us, so many of us, we're carrying around this stuff that God says, you're home. You got the rope, get the ring, get the sandals, put the bag down, you're home. So for all of you today, wherever you're at, whatever you're slogging around, You remember that on this Father's Day, you have a father who gave up his son so that you could come home. And for those of you who aren't home, he simply desires and is working in such a way for you to come home. Come home. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for who you are. Oh, Lord, drill grace into our souls. For we often are tempted to live a totally different life, one of performance, one of always trying to be good and nice instead of embracing grace. Help those, all of us, Lord, who are tempted to carry these bags of boulders around of shame and grace regret, resentment. Help us to leave them at your feet. We thank you for your grace. In your name, all God's people said, amen.